And then the ray thickened, rose, and seemed to comb the constellations, feeling its way among the scattered clouds like a thing alive, huge probing tentacle. Then, after the momentary display which attracted a thousand eyes, it settled into a steady purple glow. Having erected a new and notable skyscraper on Columbus Circle, the owner of the just-completed Victory Building had crowned his work with a signal so starkly beautiful that the other steel peaks of Manhattan paled by comparison. There was something eerie about the purple light, something that suggested the island's future as it towered closer and closer, dynamically victorious toward unattainable heights of sky. So the men in the streets thought, as they clustered in little groups to gape at the star-searcher. So the lone pilot thought, as the wingtip of his empty transport plane seemed to catch momentary violet fire two thousand feet above the crest of the Victory Building. But almost instinctively, for reasons he could never explain, he sent the ship into a steep bank to avail that purple glow. Geoffrey Fairchild, watching from his northwest window, read another significance in the blazing beacon. It was the same light, multiplied by millions of watts, as the one that those pitiful lost souls in the basement chamber required for life. It was the same light, concentrated and directed, as he had seen glowing on the walls of the Mid-City Hospital an hour before its collapse. The color of Satan victorious. In that beacon, Geoffrey thought, he saw the risen flag of evil conquest over an already doomed city. Had the octopus laid his plan so well, was his position already so firm that he could hoist his eerie standard boldly in plain sight of the city's millions? Desperately, Geoffrey assured himself that there might not be a connection. The purple beacon was, must be, only a purple beacon. But after all that had happened that day, he could hardly believe in such coincidence. It was the end of Dr. Skull, at least for a while. Already the city itself was ready to prosecute that mild-mannered professional man for murder and worse. If the enemy had raised his standard, the next attack on the quarters of Dr. Skull would be neither insidious nor subtle. Rather, it would be the high-handed devastation of the conquering invader. There was no room in the same city for two buildings representing such opposing philosophies as the humble quarters of Dr. Skull and the arrogant new temple of the twentieth-century Satan. Someday Dr. Skull might continue his offices and functions, and heartbrokenly, Geoffrey hoped that he could. In the meantime, it was for Geoffrey Fairchild to discover the true nature of that ominous and brightly sinister banner. Carol woke with cold sweat draining from every pore. She had dreamed of that time in Dr. Skull's office, when two fiercely garnet-colored eyes had attempted to stare her into hideous obedience. But now she was safe in Geoffrey Fairchild's house, and it was only the Broadway dawn coming through the blinds that had caused her troubled dream of that time, when she had been kidnapped. The Broadway dawn, New York's nocturnal neon life but what a strange color. She rose on her knees in bed and drew the curtains. A mile tall in the sky, sharp and radiant as a sword, pierced the shaft of purple light.
Carol gasped and rubbed her cold arms. Was this the end for them all? Had the nightmare been realer than she thought? Her body ached with weariness. It had been a hard day, a dreadful day, and she could still feel the chaff in her ankles where those men... Outraged, her mind shrank from the memory. Another woman might have been hysterical for days. Not Carol, but she didn't want to think. Someone else had to think for her. Someone stronger than she. She could act. She could fight. She could endure. But to anticipate and face the terrors she knew to be waiting, no, she couldn't do that, till her nerves and muscles forgot that too recent torture.